innovative often duplicated when enough people get on the trend i elevate it make it way harder for them to follow what i take it hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged in your trachea goodness gracious bruh i can never make this up so just take your stuff rake it up and take the bus never fake the funk you painted skunks you played enough i'm lifting bars to outer space so the weight is up Fight. WHUP LP Hillsboro, the center of the known world. This is the Cage Side Concussion Cast, and we are your source for the fighting arts in the Carolinas and beyond. I am Jeff Shaw, and it's December 13th. It's not a Friday, but 13 is my lucky number, so I'm excited for today's show, even though I'm not actually here. That's not a ghost story, that's foreshadowing. So, ordinarily, we would summarize some martial arts news for the weekend, um, and especially given that U.S. grappling submission-only Richmond happened yesterday, December 12th. But at this very moment, I am on a solo road trip with the world's greatest dogs, Basset Hounds, Russell and Penny, and Trevor is out catching all the Pokemon, or so I imagine. So we're doing a remote spot with a recorded show, but we're pretty excited about it because we wanted to have our guest Chris Codfilter on for quite some time. It's a pretty good, long 44-minute interview with Trevor doing a remote spot with Chris. And those guys are experts in face punching, body kicking, and all that good stuff. So I, I listen to it. It's terrific. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Um, for our news segment today, which is how we're going to start the show, we're actually, because we're recording, uh, we're not going to do news as such. But I'm going to do a list of the things that you will need for a jiu-jitsu road trip, the type that I am on at this current moment, at this very hour while you were listening to this. I've been fortunate enough to take a little time off from work uh, and just kind of travel around with my dogs, uh, training at great schools all up and down uh, in the Carolinas, Virginia, and up and down the East Coast. So I'm going to tell you guys, if you want to do that, some thoughts on how you might be able to do it as well. Uh, so that's what we're going to do for our first segment. However, I am not so foolish or arrogant as to imagine that I know everything about how to do a jiu-jitsu road trip. So if I missed anything, I want you to let me know. The Concussion Cast is on Twitter and Instagram at CagesideWHUP. That's CagesideWhoop. You can also get at us uh, using email, CagesideWhoop at gmail.com, or our Facebook page at CagesideRadio. If you're listening to us, I imagine that you are either on 104.7 FM or streaming live via whoopfm.org. You can always find the archives of the show on that website, whoopfm.org. But if you never want to miss a show, and really... Why would you want to miss a show? You can always check the archive at whoopfm.org or subscribe to us on both iTunes and Stitcher, which I think is pretty cool. So please do that. And without further ado, we're going to get into what would be our news segment, but instead is my segment about how to do your own jiu-jitsu road trip. Fighting is, is wonderful, man. Fighting is, oh my God, it's, it's literally like a play. You can just be any character you want. It's the Cage Side Concussion Cast on WHUPFM.org. All right, folks. So as, as we speak, or as I speak, and you listen, and thank you, as always, for listening, I'm traveling uh, through the Carolinas, Virginia, and, and doing a jiu-jitsu road trip. Now, this is the kind of thing where I got fortunate in that I haven't taken any vacation at my job this year. And so about December 1st, I realized that I had a week or so that I needed to take off or lose that vacation time. And I'm not about losing vacation time. So I would like to offer you, uh, with my experience doing this stuff, the top 10 things you need for a truly great jiu-jitsu or other martial arts road trip. So I'm in the process of one of these right now, which is, again, why we're pre-recording this. And I want you to know that last year I did one of these jiu-jitsu road trips through Sicily, Italy, and Greece, uh, both by myself and with my mom. 
And so, plus, I like to train whenever I visit friends on the West Coast. So I have some experience uh, doing jujitsu road trips. So a lot of the items that I'm going to list uh, should be stuff that you have in your gi bag anyway. But if it's not, then go out and get some of those things. And some of them are things that are going to take on greater importance uh, to you on a road trip. So without further ado, number 10, the 10th most important thing you need on a jujitsu road trip. A lightweight gi or two. I love my Toro gi, which is a, a lightweight gi, and it's something that you can easily roll up and pack. Whenever you're backpacking or whether you're traveling with a limited amount of items, you're going to want to have stuff that maximizes its value while minimizes its weight. I'm going to list three potential gis uh, that I enjoy taking along with me. Obviously, the Toro, something that I mentioned. I also really like my Vulcan Ultralight Gi. Uh, the disadvantage of this Gi is it's really easy for your opponent to make grips, uh, but if you don't care about stuff like that, and I don't care about stuff like that, uh, you know, if he gets grips, as Matt Sarah once told me, you're going to get grabbed. It's grappling. Uh, so the Vulcan is really nice for uh, lightweight nature, durability, and comfort. You know, it's easy for the guy to make grips on you, but who cares? Uh, you're just rolling it up in your bag and training. And finally, uh, one of my favorite travel geese, because this thing weighs in at just about two and a quarter pounds, uh, which is super light, is the Kawaii Kimonos gi. Now, some of you guys have seen these. These are kind of hard to get because it's some dudes in Hawaii who make these geese or who uh, contract with women in Indonesia to make these geese, but they're made entirely of ripstop. Now, typically a ripstop gi, I don't really like a lot. Uh, simply because it, uh, for one thing, it really sucks to get choked in a ripstop gi. Uh, but the Kawaii Kimono, I think, balances uh, lightness because it's one of the, it's probably the lightest gi I've ever owned, and the ability to dry really fast uh, with not really being horrible and feeling like you're getting garroted when you get choked. I suppose if you were better than me, you could just uh, not get choked, but that's not really an option for a tiny old purple belt. So number ten, you really need a lightweight gi. Really need to consider that. The number nine thing that you need for a great jiu-jitsu road trip is several rash guards and valetudo shorts. Now, this should be obvious, right? Sometimes I, I, I've heard rumors that there are people in the world that like to train jiu-jitsu without the gi on. This sounds kind of specious to me, but I'm just going to take people's word for it that it happens. And so if you're in the, the opportunity to train jiu-jitsu without a gi, you don't want to miss that opportunity. Also, in a lot of situations, like especially if you find yourself on a mat that's scratchy and rough, or in an area that's colder than normal, uh, you want to wear a rash guard under your gi. Plus, if you wear Valetudo shorts, which are those fight shorts that Shogun Hua used to wear in, in MMA, you can make people really uncomfortable in no-gi class by either doing that or going full spats, which is wearing tights without the pants on. If you don't have that visual, uh, Google full spats, and I'm sure you'll get more than an eyeful. So the number eight thing that you need for a great jiu-jitsu road trip a sense of humor and patience. Now, granted, that's two things, but I find that they go together. But you need these things anytime you train, but especially if you're traveling someplace without major big gyms. So let's say you're traveling through rural Italy, and you don't necessarily uh, know that there are major black belts that train there. A lot of the places that you're, you'll find, you'll get set up to train, will wind up being, let's say, someone's apartment building. Or they may be on a flexible time schedule. As in, you'll contact them and say, hey, when's class? It's like, oh, you know, whenever we can get guys together. So you need a sense of humor and you need a little bit of patience and the attitude that, you know, the world is a beautiful place and I get to train jujitsu in it. So, you know, who gives a crap if it's a little late? The number six thing that you need, and I really recommend this, I wish I'd had it on my last road trip, is a camp towel. It's really handy to have a towel around that is just as good for mopping sweat off your brow as it is for drying you off after you shower if you're lucky enough to have access to a shower. And a camp towel is really lightweight, fits in your bag uh, super easily, 
and so and you know isn't as fluffy as the hotel towel uh, or as comfortable, but it's light, doesn't take up a lot of space. So if you're jujitsu road tripping, couldn't recommend that enough. The number five thing that I recommend is something that you really need on your martial arts journey anyway, and it's something you should pack everywhere you go in jujitsu in life. Number five is humility. When you're on a road trip, you don't just need humility because every gym has a killer or two, although that's generally the case, but also because you want this to be a positive experience for everybody. If you enjoy jiu-jitsu and you enjoy travel, you don't want to be the guy that has to hand out his business card in every spot you train and be the best person in the room. You also don't want to walk in and act like you just want to tap everybody out. Sometimes you're going to encounter people that it's very important for them that, that they whoop you. And, you know, I'm not saying let anybody whoop you because, you know, we should never let that happen either. But, you know, sometimes it's less important to, you know, it's never important to win in training. It's important to learn. It's important to have fun. But, you know, whenever you walk into a room in a place you don't know, there's always the risk that somebody is going to take it as a bit of a challenge. So pack your humility and be, uh, and be, be real, real cognizant of that. The next thing, and you need this again anyway, is deodorant and mouthwash. Now, nobody likes rolling with the smelly guy. I certainly don't, and uh, it's really important to not be that guy. So deodorant's important, and so is mouthwash. You can um, repatriate mouthwash from motels, uh, which is not something I would ever do, but if you you know, really want to be considerate, I'd rather be considerate of my training partners than the Motel 6 chain. So repatriate some mouthwash. Don't be the dude that has stanky breath uh, when you're in close quarters. The number four thing you need is an open mind. Uh, Fredson Paishao, who won the world's four times, fought in the UFC, is a legend of jiu-jitsu, just told me at a seminar that he still learns things from the white belts that he teaches and trains with. Travel is an opportunity to expose yourself to the way other people do things, and you can learn things from the way other people do things. So that's an opportunity. Take it. The number three thing, nail clippers. Now look, you should have these anyway. But I mention them because they're really light, and you should stick them in, their ba- in your bag and use them. You are not a majestic eagle. So clip your talons before you roll with people so that you don't leave the scrapes and, and, and digs that nobody likes to get. The number two item is, I believe, the most important, and that is a basset hound or two. Everybody needs a companion. Besides, if you end up being the stinky guy in the gym despite the early precautions, you can always blame it on the dogs. That's what I plan on doing. And uh, I just want to shout out Russell and Penny, my 13-year-old and 10-year-old basset hounds, who are joining me in my jiu-jitsu travels. And I I was kidding about that being the number one most important thing, although if you do want to adopt a Basset Hound, I highly recommend it. The number one thing is really the most important, and this is important in your life generally. And that most important thing is a sense of adventure. Bad things are going to happen in your life. Bad things are going to happen on your trips. Trains are going to be late. It's going to rain, you know. But here's the thing. Even if bad things happen, bad things make great stories. And great stories hopefully make for good radio. So hopefully the next time you hear me live on your radio dial, uh... I will have some of those to share with you from my most recent jiu-jitsu road trip. I've always sort of admired the the ability to be um, sort of lazy to get things done. And I think that's um, the, the philosophy of martial arts that you can take away from jiu-jitsu and judo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris Clodfelter is the owner of Eight Points Muay Thai and Fitness in Wake Forest, North Carolina. He's also a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and has a really interesting perspective on those martial arts, how they interface, which one is his passion, and how he wants to live his life. And Trevor is one of his students. Trevor Hayes, my co-host. And so Trevor did our first remote spot. And I listened to this. I learned a lot from it as someone that loves all martial arts but does not know a ton about Muay Thai. I found it really interesting to listen to these two guys um, talk about why Muay Thai is amazing, about what inspires them about it, about training methods, about Chris's history in the martial arts. And so um, 
I'm really excited to play this interview for you, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So um, let's get right to Trevor Hayes interviewing Chris Clodfelter. See you on the flip side. Hey guys, Trevor Hayes here at Eight Points Muay Thai with the man himself, Chris Claude Felter. Uh, uh, we're here, we just finished up class, uh, great as always. And uh, Chris, go ahead, introduce yourself and uh, give us a rundown on how you got into this and take it from there. Well, uh, like Trevor said, my name is Chris Claude Felter. I'm the head coach and uh, trainer at Eight Points Muay Thai Gym uh, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, Muay Thai has been a passion of mine since I was 15. Uh, I started martial arts when I was nine years old. I loved karate. I love, uh, you know, I love He-Man. I can't go wrong with He-Man. Okay. You, you have the most ridiculous He-Man collection. I do. I've I do. Seen. Yeah. I have that vintage He-Man collection, and I spent a majority of my younger years in furry underwear and boots. <laughs> but um, but I anyway I, I got into martial arts when I was nine years old because I just loved the uh, you know I just loved the the just how a martial artist used technique and calmness to overcome aggression. I was never into the aggressive side or the crazy side or you know all that kind of stuff. I was always into the the technique part and and how to use that technique uh, to overcome aggression. So I started in karate and uh, you know right away I just you know I liked it, but I kind of felt something was missing you know because they we couldn't kick to the leg you know there wasn't stuff like that it was very uh, a few puzzle pieces were missing yeah a lot of yeah, puzzle yeah. pieces were missing to me but I still I enjoyed the competition aspect I started competing uh, when I was like 10 or 11 in like local karate circuits and junk like that um, and then I got after getting my black belt uh, in uh, American karate a friend of mine was you know doing uh, you know sport jiu-jitsu and kickboxing they called it kickboxing at the time because Muay Thai wasn't a real big name you know back in you know the early 90s yeah. not a lot of people knew it on the East about Coast. like uh, Joe Lewis exactly. and Chuck Norris they yeah, had to yeah, sell yeah. it as, as kickboxing and they're you know East Coast East Coast Hatton you know West Coast has always been kind of a Muay Thai mecca, and now the East Coast is coming along. And, it has and one blown of the, yeah, up. it's blown up. East Florida, Coast. especially the 100%. New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia scene. Exactly, exactly. Through they the got a, a huge scene here on the East Coast now. But when I was, you know, when I was a kid, it wasn't a huge, you know, North Carolina wasn't a huge Muay Thai mecca, and neither was the East Coast. It's still way behind exactly. compared to a lot of places. So um, the gym I was at taught kickboxing, Muay Thai, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, those kind of things, and sport Jiu-Jitsu, which was kind of like blending all of it together. It was kind of like MMA with a gi, mm -hmm. um, so it really put a focus on blending the techniques together. Uh, but, but I always gravitated towards the kickboxing. I just wanted to do the, the kicking, the punching. To me, it was, uh, that's what, what caught my attention. But anyway, the first time I went, I was, uh, you know, I was a black belt, of course. So I figured <laughs> I could jump right into the fighter class. And uh, after about an hour of getting my butt kicked with leg kicks and getting clinched and getting slammed, I've realized that, that Muay Thai and kickboxing was a different animal. Every, you know? every Muay Thai person I've talked to, that is their one life-changing event. Yeah. Like, I, even I started <laughs> in kickboxing, the first time I kicked in the leg, I was like, man. What was that right exactly. there? Show me that. 100%. Yeah. And uh, it, it changed my whole way of thinking. It changed the way I, I had to change my stance. I had to stand more forward. I had to change everything about my fighting style. I just, it, I had to change everything. And so that was the day I put my karate gi up and I said, this will be my life's work, man. This is my life's passion. I don't care, you know, how long it takes. I want to be, you know, I want to not only be the best I can be in Muay Thai, I also want to, my passion, I also had a passion for teaching. And I knew that one day I wanted to be the best coach I could be and, and, and give knowledge to other people, um, you know, and do it the right way. But, uh, but yeah, man, I just, 
got into it uh, full blown and uh, you know started competing amateur and then eventually in my 20s turned pro and just kind of traveled around did that and fought professional up until uh, I was right at 33. Uh, I had my, my final fight was in Madison Square Garden. I got a chance to, for any any yeah. dream come true. Yeah, man. Yeah. It was uh, it was really cool, man. Um, I got a chance to be one of the first Muay Thai fighters in history to fight in the Garden, and that was just I mean you can't top that, man. Yeah. And uh, you know God bless me, man. I had an awesome awesome career. I got a chance to uh, go out to Vegas for the Ultimate Fighter. I was on uh, I was an alternate on the Ultimate Fighter season 12, and I got a chance to go out there and meet all the guys. That's when they had a big regulation against having really good hair. They did. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. They told me. <laughs> Joe Silva said, Chris, yeah. your hair is the reason we're not letting you in. Yeah. No, was, like, was there oh. anything there with like the whole, they were looking for more people that were a bit more uh, crazier. They were looking for the drinkers. They and, were, uh, yeah. That and, was, and you're, that was you're, really you're a bit big. more of the, you're one of the more wholesome guys I've met. I am, yeah. as, as, like, as you could say, a wholesome well, guy. Well, yeah, you know, it's, it's actually, to be honest, it's twofold. It was twofold. Uh, they told me that, that, they were putting me as an alternate because they, they definitely, you know, uh, liked my Muay Thai and respected my Muay Thai. But um, there was two things. I also did the Ultimate Fighter when I was older. I was, you know, 30. Uh, I think I was 30 uh, at the time. And they had these 20-year-old kids that were like, you know, pushing a 4-0 record. Even though they might fight some guys that maybe not the best in the world, they still they still look good. You can, you right. can sell a 24-year-old who's 5-0 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard to sell. You know, somebody who's 30 who might be nine and seven in MMA against tough competition, and and then seven and three in professional Muay Thai, and fought you know some other Muay Thai fights and stuff, and fought good, but but it's just hard to push somebody who's older. You know what I mean? And so uh, I really think, to be honest, that was one of the keys. Also, I wasn't a huge. Uh, I'm definitely not a huge trash talker and a huge drinker. And yeah. uh, um, they even tried to pit me and one of my buddies. A uh, real good friend of mine, Rand Weathers. Uh, he's uh, trained at Greg Jackson's for a while, and he's somebody he's, fought earlier. Uh, in yeah, I fought him early in my career, yeah. man. And he's just—we just become real good friends, man, since then. And he's—he uh, was on—he was on there as well. And he's just—just uh, uh, just an awesome guy, man. He's just really awesome guy. And he's not, right now with Gracie Baja. And uh, he's doing a lot of good things. He's still fighting, man. He's still carrying the right torch, on. man. He's... You cornered him not too long ago. I did. I cornered him down. Yeah. That is the coolest thing about fighting that I've seen is that you have people that competed, they train together, and they yeah. might end up cornering each other. Yeah. And that is the coolest so, thing. So, uh, so yeah, Rand is uh, Rand's a good friend of mine, man, and I I, uh, I just love seeing him still carrying the flag for us old farts. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> stop it. But uh, but yeah. Anyway, but uh, you know, so that was a cool experience, and and then of course uh, I won the USMTA. Uh, I won a USMTA title, and then I won. Uh, you know, uh, you know, just got a chance to travel all over the East Coast, and got a chance to fight all over, and then got a chance to go to, uh, you know, Thailand as yes, well. Yeah, and that's so one that thing I wanted really to, I wanted to ask about. What are some of the places you got to travel to? Um, because the, the the best thing that I, I can always tell people is travel. Yeah, oh yeah. Go to places. What are some places you travel to for? Uh, extra Muay Thai training, extra MMA, extra BJJ training, because at that time, North Carolina was kind of hit or miss. Yeah. It, it was so far behind on uh, MMA and, and Muay Thai. And I had, I had actually started my career, even though I started training as an amateur uh, you know, in North Carolina. When I moved to college, I was training in Florida, and I was you know, I went out to California for mm -hmm. a couple weeks. I would go out to California for a couple weeks. My buddy, uh, I got a chance to train at AKA back in the day right before yeah. John Fitch was big, when Josh Thompson was still, you know, not super big. It was still a small, like, Matt Room super ring, small, right? Matt Room. It, yeah. it was really cool. My buddy Rich Cronkleton, uh, we went to college together, so he invited me out. Oh, it that's was really uh, cool. Cleet. Cleet. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah we, he was a we uh, roommate. WEC veteran. Oh, roommates, get yeah. out of here. Oh, yeah. that's wild. Oh, yeah, man. he's. He's really, well, he was he was on the same hall as me. He was on the same uh -huh. hall as me. So he we would go down and uh, we used to always 
train and he I'd work with his Muay Thai he'd work with my jiu-jitsu and wrestling yeah, that, that's, it was so cool the, that's the coolest thing it is um yeah he was a WEC veteran and then yeah. there you were you became a pro fighter and just little little and I, I that went you guys more were the, friends in college yeah, yeah exactly yeah. I went even though he was uh he went more the MMA route yeah. my passion was Muay Thai and I went the more Muay Thai route and I just did MMA to supplement my Muay Thai fights because mm-hmm. you know it was really hard to find a ton of Muay Thai fights you know in the early 2000s on the east oh, coast yeah, you know? yeah absolutely and so you're you're traveling a lot uh you know you're I, I remember one time traveling all the way down to new orleans for a fight um and i fought that night spent the night drove back in the next Been day there, yeah you know yeah. and so it's it's definitely uh you had to do a lot of traveling but to train and get the right sparring partners man i would go down to atlanta a lot i would go down to um you know definitely go to atlanta i'd go to tennessee some uh back in the day um to work with some different guys I went down to Florida, drove down to Florida to work uh, with some different guys. Uh, but the biggest thing was just making sure, you know, I was always getting those sparring partners that could push me and, and kind of take me to the next level. And, um, you know, but, but the whole time I was fighting, in the back of my head, I said, you know what? When I'm done fighting and when I'm pretty much finished, I want to have a place where we can have traditional Muay Thai in North Carolina where, where everybody can, can come here and, and uh, definitely have some. I mean, there's some good gyms in North Carolina. Oh, yeah. You know, there was. Some definitely, uh, there's some good uh, gyms that do some good Muay Thai and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, you know, I just wanted a place where, where you know, people wouldn't have to travel all over and to get really the high level Muay Thai training, not just not just a kickboxing class with Thai pads, you know. Right. Right. And uh, so that was kind of in the back of my head, always a passion. So I knew for a fact that uh, when I retired, that's kind of what I wanted to do. And then after uh, after I fought Madison Square Garden, I was just, you know, I had a long talk with a good friend of mine and, and who's real influential in. And my Muay Thai career as well, Aaron Fisher, good buddy of mine, and uh, that's how we got to know. Yeah, each that's other. how we yeah. met, man. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I knew you through like the fight scene. I saw this guy fight. I was like, man, that dude's good. Then lo and behold, I walk in the gym, gym and uh, there you are, just yeah. cracking pads. Like, whoa, yeah. get out of here! Yeah, and then man. I think we both had mullets at the time. Or I something. know, man. We yeah, both we, had mullets. Yeah, 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 man. Aaron, when yeah. Aaron moved to town, he hit me up. He said, "Hey, man, uh, I looked around. There's not a lot of." There's not a lot of real Muay Thai guys here. Let's get together and start working out. And I was like, I love it, man. Let's. Yeah. So I used to drive down the two, make the two-hour trip, trip to uh, work out with him. You know, three times a week, two, three times a week. And uh, we just formed a friendship, man. And uh, it still lasts to this day, man. Oh, yeah. I, we, I talk to him all the time, man. Uh, uh, you know, all the time. He's just, uh, he's just a, uh, you know, he's just a special influence in my life, man. I really, uh, I really like, uh, you know, I just really like him a lot. And uh, but anyway, we sat down and we had a long talk. And he, you know, he said, listen, man. He said, I, you know, it's very hard for a fighter to know when they're done. But he's like, you know, as your coach, I think you got other things going for you. And I think right now, I think, you know, you're getting older. I was 33. Am I getting any younger? You know, he's like, man, you know, that was counting your amateur career. That was like, you know, close to your 40th fight. So I think it's time that, that uh, you give back in another way. You know, you st- right now, you can't be half a fighter and half a coach. Right. You know, and right. He, he really is the one that had that talk with him and my wife both. Uh, Helen was really instrumental in that, but he said, "Listen, he said, you need to. You can't be half a coach. You can't be half a fighter. So he's like, you've done a lot of awesome things in Muay Thai and a lot of awesome things in the fight world and stuff like that. He's like, now I think it's time that you focus gung ho on your coaching and try to be the best coach you can be. And that really hit home to me. And it, it took me a couple of days to really let it sink in because naturally, no fighter wants to call it quits. It's they such always, a big part of your life. It is. It's such a big time. And it's you always identify. You see, the problem is you identify yourself as a fighter. You're always like, I'm Chris the fighter, I'm whatever. And you always bring it up in conversation, and you almost feel insecure about yourself, and you have to always put that up as a front. Um, it's very 
and, and people don't realize it. You know, you, you almost, it's almost like you're using that so people, as a light for people to see you through. Mm -hmm. They don't see you, they see, oh, well, oh, the you know, fighter he's a fighter. Yeah. 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 It, and, and especially somebody like me that started martial arts so young, I didn't know any other life. I didn't know any yeah. other life than training, hitting pads, sparring. I, I, I didn't know any other life. Well, welcome to me trying to work at desk job. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But but you know what? I, I, I sat down, I, I thought, I thought about what Aaron said, and uh, you know, I said, you know what? I said, you're right, man. I called him back a couple days later. I said, you're right. Um, I need to focus on my business and my coaching 100%. And that was three, almost three and a half years ago. And since that time, uh, you know, God's really blessed the gym. And as far as coaching, we've been able to build fighters from complete scratch all the way up to world champions. From what we've got national that, yeah, champions. You have yeah. the most active pure Muay Thai program in the Carolinas right yeah, now. Right, you have guys I appreciate just that. competing Thank a lot. You. Well, I mean, look, look around. You have guys with you know, Muay Thai fighters. There's some good Muay Thai guys out of Raleigh, but you have a a team of Muay Thai fighters, not just the one or two guys out of a yeah, gym. Yeah, yeah. You have a whole team of Muay Thai guys to build off of each and other. And our passion is literally building you from the ground up. Yes. Um, yeah. Building you from the ground up. One, one thing I really love, like, is, is taking fighters who come in and say, hey, I just want to have one fight and then and then helping them reach their goals. One is, uh, you know, of course, Araceli. You know, she come, you know, oh, she yeah. had trained a little bit with Aaron and she had trained some boxing in some other places in Raleigh. But when she come to us, she, she hadn't had a fight. She come to me, she said, listen, I just want one fight. And we started Lord working with her. Now. I know, Good we gosh. started working with her, working with her. And now she's looking at like a 16, 17 and five career. She just fought for the world title at the WK world title. She won the gold in the world championship. Yeah. She fought, she had a dream to fight in lion fight. That was her dream. And I said, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to get the right fights. We're going to build you the right way, and we're going to do it. And and uh, with her hard work ethic, man, you know, we put the work in, and she fought in Lion Fight on September 25th, man, and dominated her, her amateur debut for Lion Fight. Yeah. And uh, I'm just very proud of, of how she's come along. Th this this year alone for her is outstanding because she, she turned 38 this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she won a IKF title recently. She won her Lion Fight debut, yep. and she won the gold medal at the Worlds, which hey, is astounding for someone exactly. that she started late, considerably exactly. late. She come to me and she said, yeah. you know what, she said, I talked to some other coaches, you know, back in the day, and uh, she's like, some people were like saying I was, I was too old, this and that. Age is a number, man, and, and she is 100% she is proof that age is a number. Right. It doesn't matter if you start at 35, it doesn't matter if you start at 45. If you want to be a world title holder, a world champion, if you put in the work and you get with a good coach who cares about you and builds you the right way, because it's all about building. People, yes. you can't just fight. Uh, you got all these jokers out here yeah. wanting to fight fights, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, you can't yeah. just you can't just go out there and you got to build, you mm -hmm. know, and you got to build the right way. It's like anything else. You don't start at the top of the company as a CEO. You start in the mailroom. You know exactly. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So you got to do that in fighting too. But um, but yeah, she's she's got a special place in my heart. You know, being able to help her reach her dreams and her goals, and she's just starting. She's just yeah. starting. She's so I'm really hitting a groove now. She is crazy. hitting a groove, yeah. and we're going to keep her going and doing that. Another another person is is uh, Mike came to me as an amateur. He had worked a lot with Aaron. He worked there, and and we were able to build Mike's pro career. You know, his last amateur fight, get him the right fights, build his pro career. And uh, Mike's trained a lot of good guys too, yeah. man, across the world. And and we've been able to build Mike to where he's the top, in my opinion, the top 155 guy, period, in, in the Carolinas. You know, there's a lot of, there'll be a lot of debate about that, and I know you guys will say whatever, but all I gotta say is, man, you I, know, I'm Mike, the most neutral ground French ambassador-esque <laughs> type guy at the fight community. But all, results definitely, definitely put it in there, and, and Mike is one of the best guys at 55 or 75. It doesn't matter what weight. 
Um, you know, his Muay Thai is on point. His timing is what is oh, we've really focused insane. on. With Mike, the last two years, I've focused so much on his timing that, you know, that's the big thing with Mike. Mike is a slow starter, you know, and Mike's a lot like me. Me and him are very traditional Thai. That, yeah, that, slow that's starters. the very traditional Thai yep. where some people, like, uh, when people think Thai box, they look at Ramon Deckers <laughs> and these yeah, guys yeah, yeah, that yeah. were just full throttle from the get-go, yeah, yeah, yeah. where you watch guys in Thailand, it's that very slow, very steady, just jabs and round the house the yeah, first very round, relaxed, and relaxed. Yeah, 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 I want to yeah. find the range, and then it, it builds. I know, it's yeah. very, uh, um, you know, a lot of a lot of reason for fighting like that is the gambling, unfortunately, in Thailand. It is. They yeah. want to gamble, so it starts slower. But another reason, too, is to fill out the fight. Uh, they don't want to see an ugly, sloppy fight. They want to see good, two good technical guys get nice and warmed up and then put in, you know, three rounds of good work. Mm -hmm. So those first couple rounds are getting getting the feel, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Mike's a slow starter, too. So we pretty much know that his first first round, he's going to lose his first round. Mm -hmm. And so we always, I mean, that's just par for the course. Yeah, yeah. So after that first round is when we sit down and say, okay, let's go to work. You know, let's go out there and start landing those combos, landing that distance. I was really proud of him. And, and uh, then we got another guy, man, Justin, who just joined up with us. Uh, he's on oh, a tear right now, man. He's gosh. only trained seven months, already won an ICAF title. Yeah. Uh, Liam has, has been killing guys. Holden, man. Um, Holden is come to me as uh, from school. He come to me as a uh, uh, he was a, a, he's an exercise science specialist. Yeah. So he wanted to do an internship at my gym. And I was like, yeah, sure. And that internship turned into him having almost 10 fights now. I know, so yeah. He, and, and he is guys, just crisp, yeah, that, that whole group you talked about all uh, fought at the IKF. They did. They, they, everyone you brought there came home with wins. They did. It was yeah, outstanding. Yeah, really yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, another guy just joined up with is John. I mean, I can talk about these guys all day, man. I, oh, oh, yeah. Well, John you have, Shock, you have man, a another team. Guy. You don't just have the one or two guys exactly. to sit there and, and talk about. You have a team. And yeah. Family and it's going. all about and it's all about building them the right way and helping these people reach their goals and being behind them. Like Eric Vasquez, one of one of uh, uh, yeah, my 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 success stories in my heart, man. Because he just come to me and he was like, man, I want to fight. I just want to have a fight. And he, we trained hard for a year, year and a half. And he fought in the WKs last year. That and was the won. biggest yeah. Rocky story. He it fought is. one of the biggest guys I've ever seen. He just kept I his mean, hands tight, walked forward, and did amazing. Yeah, yeah he won his debut. Yeah. And and those kind of things is what it's all about for me. Mm -hmm. It's not about. It's not necessarily about having so much the best team. It's having a team with solid fundamentals. Having a team who knows how to perform good Muay Thai, fight good Muay Thai, win yes. or lose, and knows how to have good attitudes. Because right now, all my guys except Mike are amateur. All yeah. of them are amateur. People don't understand in North Carolina that amateur is not how many wins I how many wins I can get. Amateur is getting all the bugs out. Amateur is fighting the right fights to push you the right way to where you're you're not taking too much. You're you're fighting on the right level. You keep pushing it. Hey, if you win against an easy guy, you need to fight somebody a little tougher. Yeah. If that guy gives you trouble, you need to you know fight one more guy like it's that. It's like a CBA scale. Exactly. I think exactly. someone explained it to me one time. Was uh, you, know, you fight like a C level? Okay, well, let's find a C plus. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. That that was all right. Time to find you a B plus after that. <laughs> exactly. Maybe another B minus. And then a. Yeah. And you know what? Some guys some guys can jump from C to A. Some yeah. guys because like. Like Justin, he's he started training seven months, but he he was an athlete. He played football before. He played a lot of sports. Justin had one, you know, two fights, dominated both fights. Justin's going. I'm gonna have to find him some tougher fights, you know. Oh, yeah. uh, so it's yeah. just like it's about that. But some people, you know, and another thing too, when you, you know, when you have a loss, that just lets you know what you need to work on. Losses aren't. There's no negatives in fighting, yeah. and and people are. Are so bandwagon fans, you know? People are bad losers. They are. They're bad you, losers. You become too. a good loser because that's how you learn. And and, and, you, and the problem is, you got in, in the, the 
big problem with MMA, it's mostly MMA because North Carolina is a big MMA state now. But in MMA, you see these guys that are amateur fighters trying to have fighter pages, trying to have sponsors, trying to, you know, do whatever, get all these titles, and they're amateur. Amateur is nothing. It's nothing. You're an amateur guy against guys that are training in the same gyms that you are, you know? You're amateur. This is about building your career so you can go to Atlanta, you can go to Florida, you can go to New York, you can go to Vegas and, and perform with the best in the state. Then, when you're the best in the whole country, then you fight overseas and see if you're the best in the world. Yeah. You know, it should be a, a, a step up, you know, a level system. And, and with and the, that's with what the big MMA, it's a good thing you bring that up where you see the... You see the low-level pros of Muay Thai, you see the low-level pros of MMA, or even guys getting the UFC where they, these MMA guys have five fights and go pro. Exactly. So you still exactly. see guys getting the UFC on the undercard lacking a lot of fundamentals. And hey, not to jump on the bandwagon, but we've seen that this last weekend with Holly Holm and Ronda Rousey. Yes. So Ronda Rousey is, has been tearing through people that lack that the fundamental in yeah. striking, and it made her really look good, you know. And and she had some fundamental problems. Now, hey, she is amazing. She is she has got she did it she's done am- yeah amazing. she has done amazing stuff for the sport, and we can never take that away from no, her. Never. And she Ronda Rousey has done a lot for the sport as far as like paving the way for women and all that kind of stuff. I didn't agree with the way she did it. I'm not a trash talker, and I'm not. I, I certainly wouldn't want my daughter, you know, looking up to Ronda Rousey. I that I wouldn't want that at yeah, all. Yeah. But Holly Holm had, you know, years of kickboxing and boxing experience, even as an amateur, before she jumped in there. So the timing is different. Everything is different. Not that Holly Holm is a better person. She's not a better person. She's not necessarily the better whatever fighter. She was just the better technician who was able to make the fight in her level. And Ronda kind of helped her with that by bum-rushing in instead of trying to set up her her takedowns and her judo and all that kind of stuff. Because in judo, I mean, she's no joke, man. She is a legitimate world world champion, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so she definitely, definitely doesn't need to be, you know, she definitely doesn't need to be berated like she's getting. But uh, I think some of that maybe she brought on herself with her attitude and stuff. She but, did, uh, yeah. Um, but, but anyway, she's done a lot for the sport, so she we has. can't take that away no, from her. No, no, not at all, yeah. Um, now, I still want to keep talking about uh, your program and your school. And uh, we're actually grabbing coffee in a little coffee shop restaurant right now, so there's lots of background noise. And lots hey, of good thing we're loud. From, right? We are, we're the loudest guys in the room right now. And, um, but uh, uh, the biggest thing is, is talking about... Um, we talked about your traveling to train, which brings apart uh, sacrifice, which a lot of new guys on the scene don't understand that that sacrifice uh, to to train and, and put stuff on the back burner. Where when we first met, you you put everything to the side to open your gym. I did. And I did. now you've gone from, uh, and I hope you're okay talking about this. Of where course, you were yeah. okay, where you lived. You moved, you moved in with uh, your mom to save money to and open up your gym. Big, and you, exactly. you had a son. And now, and she even did my laundry. Look at that, <laughs> man! My mom doesn't do my laundry. Like when I was yeah. when I had an apartment, and when I made the, I was working at a. Um, I'd always worked in gyms and worked in stuff, or worked side jobs to support my fight career because I wanted to. Because fighting professional Muay Thai is not fighting professional, uh, you know, boxing. Right. You're not making millions of dollars. So you're making thousands if you're lucky. You know. Usually so, hundreds of dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's. It, it's ridiculous, you know. So fighting pro, you know, even pro MMA on the if you're not in the UFC or Bellator or something like that, you're making, you're hurting. You're, yeah, you're yeah. like two grand is good. Yeah. You know? So, um, you know, so it was there was no way I could do that. So 
I was always working side jobs, so I was living in a, a small apartment, and, and I knew I wanted to, to make the jump to open my own gym. I wanted to do something different, too. A lot of guys open gyms as an amateur fighter or whatever. I wanted to do it at the end of my fight career, knowing that I only had a couple years left, so that way I knew that I would have a wealth of experience and knowledge to give to my guys. Even if you just want to come in for fitness, I knew I would have a wealth of knowledge to do that instead of doing it the other way around, being somebody who opens a gym and tries to fight out of that gym. Yeah. That's, you know, you can't, you can't be a fighter and a good coach. You can't. Either you're going to be amazing and your guys are going to suck, or you're going to have guys that are amazing and you're going to suck. And you have to it's, put your career on the back. Exactly. Yeah. You have to do that. And so um, what I did was I, I, t I knew I wanted to make the jump and open eight points, so I moved back in with my mom, I let my lease run out, moved back in with my mom and dad, and my family's Italian, so they um, <laughs> completely didn't have a problem with it. I mean, mom was like, hey, you gonna help around the house? You're gonna do that? But it was, you know, I mean, it, it was very humbling, extremely yeah. humbling. So I moved back in with my mom and dad, and after a couple years, even when I first started dating my wife, I was living with my mom. Yeah. So we had our first couple of dates at my mom's house. The next interview we do will be uh, Chris's guide on how to date women out of your league while living yeah, with your yeah, mom. Because exactly. you married, I, I'm not, well, you're a good looking guy, but Helen is, <coughs> you lucked out with that. Well, I, I she, did. Not. She is amazing. She helps with the business. She does she, help with the business. She, she is your right hand woman. Like, she, she is. is. She and helps with everything. Yeah. The cool thing about it is she's, she loves, she likes Muay Thai, she loves it, but she's my outside of it. Like, when I go home, I don't have to be yeah. Chris, the Muay Thai coach or anything like that. Um, it becomes Chris the family man, and exactly. you can separate yourself from the I can separate and, it, yeah. and, I, and I really love that. Which now so, has, it brings the point where you went from moving with your mom exactly. to now that your gym fully pays for. Everything, your wife yeah. did not work. Uh, you have another kid on the way. Congratulations. Exactly. You guys have a kid together. Uh, yeah, man. Evie, she's how old now? Uh, Evie's two, and Drake's 13. Yeah. I mean, it is crazy. We, it, it pays for your house, your cars. Exactly. Like, within two the, years. Within yeah. two years. We, I was living with my mom from 2010, and then we got a house. And we were able to get a house in 2012 or something, 2012, 2013. So within two, three years, um, it went from, you know, barely making, you know, barely making $7,000 for the whole year yeah. to where oh, now it supports my entire family. My wife doesn't have to work. You know, she hasn't had to work for a, a couple years now, you know, a year yeah. and a half, two years now. Uh, she that, hasn't had to work. That's the American man. dream right there that it, you it, have. You know, it is. Yeah. And God is, God is truly, I, number one, number one, and... And this is what I truly believe with all my heart. Like, I 100%, when I got into this, I was like, you know, Lord, I'm going to let you take care of my finances. And I'm, I'm by no means, no means, you know, holier than thou. I make more mistakes than anybody every single day. And that's what God's all about, man. You know, it says, you know, whosoever shall confess with thy mouth, he'll, he'll forgive your sins. If you confess your sins, of faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But I'm definitely, I'm definitely closer to God now than I was five years ago. And... And I had to take that faith. I had to take that leap of faith. I knew I was born to do this, mm -hmm. to impact people through Muay Thai. And, um, and I knew fighting was to get to this point. Fighting was, was kind of like going to school to get my degree to, to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. And, and I knew that, the, you know, I knew that do, put, doing those fights, you know, and I wasn't the best fighter in the world, but God gave me a good career. And I definitely was able to do some cool things. And so God uses that to, for me to give back to my students now. And, and I... When I started, even when I moved in with my mom and I first opened eight points, I started tithing. I said, you know what? I'm gonna give God His money, and I'm going to, I'm gonna let Him worry about the details. And I, I just didn't worry about my finances. I wasn't always able to eat steak. I wasn't able to do nothing that. But within a matter of two or three years, I was able to buy a house. Helen don't have to work. We got, 
you know, uh, you know, new cars, not brand new cars, but we got new cars, man. Um, you know, everything's taken care of. And if we lost it all tomorrow, still, I know God will provide. Mm -hmm. You know, if if this business, this we're getting ready to celebrate our seventh year in business, That's which is awesome. crazy for me. Yeah. But we're getting ready to go into our seventh year of business. But if God wants this business to continue, He's going to allow it to continue. So I'm just excited that he allows me to do what I love to do every single day and give back to people but um, but it's just really cool when I look back to where like now it's just it just he uses this gym to take care of my whole family man um, you know my kids don't you know worry about stuff it's not it's not the typical where I have to work five different jobs I focus I get to focus on just this and go home to my family you know yeah. and it's just really it's truly awesome man I'm just oh, very yeah. blessed you that is that, that's like a, a soon to be autobiography in itself I yeah. think man you can <laughs> Chris's guide to good hair and good finances for a gym. Hey, I know. <laughs> I, my, my wife's let me grow it back out. So yeah, I know, man. The, the man bun's coming back the strong man bun with you. is coming strong. Yeah. Um, and, and so now we kind of covered that topic. Um, you are also a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I, I do. I, and, I dabble. Um, you, you dab <laughs> you've dabbled for a long time now. Uh, you got your black belt under uh, Caesar. Uh, I can never say his last name. Uh, Caesar Pereira is a fourth Thank degree you, black belt um, under uh, Carlson Gracie, yes. and uh, and then uh, Rick is one of his black belts too. And uh, so they were, uh, uh, you know, I I've actually trained. A lot of people don't know this, but I trained jiu-jitsu ever since I started doing Muay Thai. Uh, the first gym that I started doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, had blue belts and had a blue belt and a, uh, a purple belt come in teaching you know classes every once in a while you know and it was just it was just you know in 1995 a blue belt was like a fifth degree oh, black belt yeah, you know yeah. so it was just so crazy what they could do but uh, I only did those classes to supplement um, you know the other classes that I really like the striking yeah but uh, I still did it and a lot of people as far as my MMA career a lot of people don't understand that most of my wins were from submissions. Yeah. Um, from heel hooks. You and watch your fights and you're, you're you're picking people apart on the feet. They have these desperate takedowns and just scope. You're blocking <laughs> on the legs and it's really cool to see. And, yeah. and when I first started, the when I first started, it was old school jujitsu. You know, it was super old school, like position. And I kept through. I kept that through the whole my whole career. And I believe that position was the number one thing. So when we went to the ground, I got to a solid position that I felt that I could dominate from, and I, I would go from there. And if I was in the guard in no gi, if I was in the guard, I would break their break their guard and heel hook, break their guard, heel hook, or knee bar, and it worked every single time because guys traditionally weren't spending a lot of time on that. That was back in the day when traditionally it was looked at as as a foul to go for legs and go right, for knee right. bars and all that kind of stuff, and it was it was almost like cheating. And to me, I was like, man, this is a fight, you know? I never really did a lot of jiu-jitsu competitions so so much. I did I did one, I, I did the highest in back when it used to be in wow. Tennessee oh, in 2003. Man. 2003, I did the highest in uh, back when Goku was still running it, yeah. and I did it in Tennessee, and Go I did it. Goku. Yeah, or however you say his name. Goku from Dragon Goku. Ball Z. It's no, Goku, right? It's a, no, yeah, uh, Goku, yeah, Goku. Hey, uh, but, but uh, anyway, I did that in Tennessee. I did it. I went up there with uh, some old school MMA guys, uh, Casey Oxendine, who is a black belt oh, under wow. Kelio Seneca. Yeah. I used to, man, when I, I used to teach Muay Thai at Upstate Karate, it's Ray Thompson's, and that's where I met Casey. And me and Casey used to roll all the time, man. Um, Casey is seriously one of the best grapplers I've ever physically got a chance to roll with and he is a legend in jiu-jitsu in my opinion man he's just really good on the ground uh, but anyway I went with him and, and Ian Boxhorn a good friend of mine back in the day who's fighting uh, all around but he's another old school guy and we went we went there to the, the highest and, and uh, this other guy Eric man a good judo guy and I ended up winning my division 
and like, and this wasn't in a school; it was in somebody's gym. That's how small it was. But I ended up winning my division. I fought three, four guys, and I beat all of them in like a minute combined with heel hooks. <laughs> so it was, it was pretty cool, man. But that was the only real grappling term I've ever done uh, because I did it for fighting, for jujitsu. Yeah. To me, my jujitsu was to get me back up to the feet. And and then in February of last year, I was presented with my black belt uh, from Caesar Pereira, and uh, and of course Rick man was there and. And Rick had recommended me to Caesar, and he was like, "Man, listen, this guy, you know, he's." It's that he's same legit. old school philosophy yeah. where it's very everything has a purpose. There's nothing flashy. No, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't. I've, I've never done Barabola. I've never done De La Eva. I've, ne- I've done a little bit of X guard because I think it sets up heels. But I don't. We don't teach uh, any of that kind of stuff at the gym. If you can be punched in the face, we don't teach it. Yeah. So that's that's how it goes. And again, our, our specialty is not jujitsu. If somebody comes in and says, "Hey, I want to do jujitsu," I send them to you know three or four other gyms locally that do jiu-jitsu. If you want to do just jiu-jitsu, this ain't, or we're not the gym for you. If you want to do Muay Thai and then have a solid fighting jiu-jitsu base, come in, you know, we'll, we'll help you out with that. Yeah. But uh, my jiu-jitsu, I would classify it as fighting jiu-jitsu because it's, it's got to be, the position's got to be tight and you go from a tight position to a tight position to a finish, you know? Yes. Um, now, uh, I've been to some gyms where they say, no, you need to do just Muay Thai. No, you need to do just uh, BJJ. Now, as someone that has been a pro Muay Thai fighter, so let's say a BJJ black belt, do you recommend your guys that are doing a lot of Muay Thai to check out jiu-jitsu classes oh, once or twice yeah, a week yeah. to, to help uh, you know, for that self-defense situation man. and help become a complete martial artist overall? 100%, man, yeah. 100%. I believe that I, I, I've done Muay Thai my whole life. Yeah. I believe, but in a self-defense situation, I very I can guarantee you I've had a couple times I've actually had to defend myself only a couple and I didn't kick anybody in the head you know yeah. oh, I yeah, use yeah. I use knees I use guillotine chokes yeah. you know I yeah. mean very basic stuff and I think learning learning how to uh, stay up on your feet learning how to keep dominant top position learning if you're on your back learning how to sweep and sweep effectively and put them in a put them on their back. You know, I, I think you know you definitely need jujitsu. Learning how to shrimp, basic shrimp, to get to get in a safe position so you can survive. A self defense situation is more about surviving than it is winning. You're not winning a fight. Right. You're right. surviving. And uh, I re- we recommend all of our Muay Thai guys, even even that fight at the highest level, to do jujitsu. And uh, you know they don't always take me up on it. But we definitely encourage that because I think you should be a complete martial artist, you know. Um, and it's it's definitely um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a beautiful martial art, just like Muay Thai. It's just Muay Thai is my passion. Um, Muay Thai, I will be doing Muay Thai when I'm 90 years old, getting ready to, you know, Kick grow. It. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, Muay Thai is is always where my heart is. But I still roll a couple times a week to keep my jujitsu up because, truthfully, in real self-defense situations, sometimes, man, it's going to go to the ground, and you need to know more, how to more, defend yourself. Uh, it starts on the feet, but a lot of times, 80% of the time, yeah. watch World Star Hip Hop videos and all those fights. I do it all the time. Up on the ground. Yeah, no, it is. It's like, man, that guy could use guard right there. But it is. You see a lot of uh, YouTube videos of street fights. They wind up on the ground. Yeah. And, but yeah. I also feel that that the jujitsu that that most gyms that teach jujitsu, they need to be. They need to dip. They need to make a difference between the sport aspect and the real self-defense fighting aspect. I tell people when they come in, if they want De La Hiva and they want crazy spinning moves and crap like that, then they need to go to Lucas Lapree. They need to go to you know ground control. They need to go somewhere else. You know. Yeah. Um, but they come to they, our. They gym. have really good sport. They amazing, yeah. and yeah. I'm not knocking that. I'm no, not knocking yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And everybody's good, but they need to understand is it is a sport. Um, you know, they need to understand that it is a sport with inside that context. 
just like Muay Thai is a sport inside its context. Yeah. So Muay Thai. Jiu Jitsu started out as a, a smaller person could defend themselves exactly. from a larger exactly. attacker. And you look at, I mean, you look at some of the old school, old school Jiu Jitsu guys, uh, you know, like Hicks and Gracie still uh, teaches old school Jiu Jitsu. Um, all those guys, man, uh, from the old stuff, they, they're still teaching the old style. Half Gracie, all those guys. They're teaching the old style from position, position. They're not teaching the new stuff. And I'm not saying it's not good to learn the new stuff. I just think they need to uh, differentiate, you know. But uh, And it's the same thing with Muay Thai, man. Muay Thai is a beautiful, passionate martial art on itself. And gyms need to teach, either either tell people they're teaching kickboxing or teach Muay Thai how it needs to be taught with clinch, learning how to elbow, learning how to grapple from a standing clinch. You know, no, no gym around here does that, you know. Yeah. Um, People people throw the tie pads on and they do a couple of two three twos and a round kick and they call it Muay Thai. That's not Muay Thai. And I'm very passionate about Muay Thai. And you couldn't get away with that stuff in Jiu Jitsu. If somebody claimed to be a black belt, the whole the whole oh, yeah. North Carolina community would be in an uproar. You, you see it left and right about the the BJJ uh, black belt frauds and being all being the time. Offended. And yeah. there yeah. needs to be a Muay Thai fraud because. Yeah. 90% of the gyms out there are teaching MMA striking or teaching watered-down kickboxing or teaching some sort of karate. It, there needs to be a, a structured system of true Muay Thai. And that's one, re, that's one thing we, we strive to do. Um, we, we, there's no such thing as a black belt in Muay Thai, but we have a ranking system in our style of Muay Thai that you can get ranked through, um, you know, through our gym, through our system, and you can get ranked and, and learn how to systematically teach Muay Thai in a real legitimate way. Learn yeah. about clinch. That's why learn I, how to I clinch. make these trips and I stay in touch yeah, with yeah, you. You're, I mean, yeah, you're one of I, our, our ranked yeah, uh, instructors. Yeah. I, uh, I, I've had a program for six months, and I'm like, Chris, what am I doing? I'm panicking. Like, how how do I how do I talk to people? What do I do? And because you have it down pat, man. Oh, like, it is insane. Yeah. Well, we every yeah. gym, even in the Muay Thai community, everybody's good at, good at certain things. We're good at the basics. We're not good at anything else. I'm not good at the fancy stuff. If you want to learn spinning elbows, hey, we'll teach it to you. But that ain't that ain't what we're about. We're Thank about you. footwork, yeah. distance, proper round kick, proper jab, proper cross, proper elbow, proper clinching. It, you got to look at it like you're a chef, okay? What does a chef do? Before he cooks, he lays out his knives and he sharpens his knives to make them razor sharp. Now, he might be fancy at cutting or he might just be able to cut slow. He still has to sharpen the tool. And that's what we do. Great we sharpen analogy. the, hey, I'm an Golly, analogy king, man. man. Yeah. Are you serious? I tell my guys, like, guys are like, Trevor, we need to write down what you say. I'm like, no, no, no. Don't write down what I say. You might get arrested for repeating it. Listen to what Chris has to say for analogies. <laughs> It'll stick and it's a lot smarter. So. But I mean, that's true, man. You. We, we, I believe in sharpening the individual tools because once you, once you string all those tools together, you have a beautiful working machine that looks good and no matter how long. Like we've had a lot of guys come up to us at fights and say, man, you know, how long has this guy been training, man? He's been doing Muay Thai 10 years. I'm like, uh, yeah, a year and a half. You yeah. know? Not, and that, not so, that's not because we're the god of Muay Thai. That's because we cut out all the fluff. We don't teach, I don't teach you what you want to learn. Like when you come here and you say, "Hey man, I seen this on YouTube." Hey, that's great. Go back to YouTube. I teach you. Yes. I teach yeah. you what Muay Thai is. I teach you the foundation from the ground level. Even if you're a fighter with another gym, we when you come to our gym, you're on the back burner till you learn how to do Muay Thai. Like yeah. Kyle, one of our fighters now, come to our gym from from another gym, and he was already a great jujitsu guy. He was already two and zero, undefeated, and he didn't fight for a year. He didn't fight for a year, and then when he come back, now he's sitting at like six and one, five and one, and he's got a uh, you know another uh, championship title he's he's uh, working for. So I mean, Kyle is is another guy who we took from another gym, and we we progressed him, you know, to where his striking is on point now, you know. 
And uh, you know, it's it's that's what we want to do. We strive to build the fundamental aspects of people's game. Win or lose, the the fights are like the laboratory where you just kind of putting it out there and, and kind of seeing what works. Okay, let's fix that, let's tweak that and go back. You know? Yes, absolutely. Um, all right, well, we're getting towards the end of this. I just have one or two more things to ask. Uh, what's a good tip or uh, advice for someone that is looking to get into Muay Thai that has no experience? And uh, what are some good tips and recommendations as far as what to look for or uh, anything that you feel like they should mentally prepare themselves for or what they probably shouldn't say or... Don't be that one guy that shows up first day with brand new everything, like fancy, yeah. flashy, like yeah. anything, like any kind of recommendation for people that want to get into Muay Thai, I tell might you, have experience and stuff like that. Best thing you want to do is when you go to a gym, first thing you do, sit in on their sparring. Uh-huh. Sit in on their sparring. Um, if they're trying to knock each other's heads off and go 100% all the time, it's not the gym for you. True Muay Thai will build you up from a from a system. Make sh- Another thing too, man, I could talk about this all day. I, I know we don't have a lot of time. Yeah. But one thing that bothers me is there's no system to build people up. Somebody comes into a normal gym, especially around here, and if they look in shape and they look like they, they're in shape, they throw them into sparring because they, they, they're insecure, because the instructor is insecure himself. He's never really fought a lot of fights. He's never done a lot of stuff. So he wants to beat you up to let you know how good he is. And that's not what our gym's about. You, I mean, you're not going to get to spar me unless you, you've been built up six, seven months, maybe a year. Then I might do some drills with you. Now, you know, we let fighters from other gym come in and attend our sparring as long as they're from a legit gym. But their sparring should be about timing and technique. Knocking people out every sparring session is going to do nothing but kill brain cells. It is about landing timing, landing <laughs> technique. Guys, guys go too hard all the time in sparring, and it makes them sloppy technique. Everybody wants to get in there and act like they're fighting, and that's not... Sparring is, should be looked at as solid preparation for a fight, not a fight itself. And people in America forget that. You go to Thailand, they'll be sparring with no shin guards, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, I guarantee you there's sometimes you need to spar a little harder, especially if you're getting ready for a fight. But, I mean, it, that should be very rare. It's not as much as people are sparring. Every time people spar, they're always trying to knock each other's heads off. Sparring, again, should be about that timing and that technique and landing clean technique. And then, as you get better and more controlled, you go up on the intensity and you go up on the power down the road. But if you watch their sparring, you can tell if, if they know what they're talking about. Yes, if they're absolutely. if everybody's getting knocked out, people losing teeth, people's getting shoulders dislocated. Yeah, that's it, not the it's gym not for you. like when I was younger. I admit, like I did that, like the old school, like American kickboxing ideology, like the old school boxing backgrounds I came up with. It was like. Oh, cool, I broke my nose. Yeah. I look back, I'm like, man, I was so dumb. No. It's like every time I got the chance to work out with you at Somai, I was like, this is going to beat the brakes off me. I'm like, wow, this guy's being really nice. And yeah. he's, like, his legs are heavy, but I'm learning. Like, this is the coolest thing And it's ever. not about yeah. me just crippling you, you know? Yeah. And it's it's about me landing that same technique on the same spot over and over and over. You should, when you spar, you should be trying to land your techniques in the same spot over and over and over with clean technique. When I leg kick somebody, I know for a fact I can make them quit with leg kicks. Not because I'm the best leg kicker in the world, because I practice leg kicks probably a billion times in my life. And I, I hit the same spot over and over and over, and, and eventually wears down. When people kick, they kick five different areas on the leg. They don't kick the same spot. So, and that comes from them. For my guys too hard. listening to this, re-listen to that part right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, it is but yeah. that, that repetition is what builds a good exactly. foundation. So, that the, process for the biggest two things, like I said, is watch their sparring. Number one. Number two, talk to the coach and make sure he has a legitimate system on building somebody up from beginner 
all the way up. If he's letting you jump in on pads in your very first time and not teaching you at all, then chances are he really doesn't know what he's doing. He's just letting you. No, I mean, that happens sometimes with good instructors. I, yeah. I mean, everybody's got their different way. But if you have somebody that, that even if he does throw you on pads, make sure he's working with you on the basics, jab, setting your distance up, making sure your, your stance is correct, you're covered right. Because um, those foundations, if the foundation, if you lay the foundation solid, we can build a skyscraper, you know? But if the foundation's not solid, you ain't gonna be able to build a doghouse. Exactly. It's gonna break, man, yeah. you know? So we wanna build a solid foundation and then go from there. And uh, again, that would be my biggest two things if you're wanting to join a gym. Uh, just make sure you find somebody that knows what they're talking about, you know? All right, man, that, that's great. That covered a lot of ranges about martial arts, your, your history with it, and uh, once again, thanks for, for uh, taking time out of your day to, to talk to me, Chris. Hey, and, thanks uh, a lot, Trevor. And if you get a yeah, chance... Yeah, give a shout-out for your gym. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. If you get a chance, check us out on 8PointsMuayThai.com. We just uh, redid the website. My brother Ross uh, Clodfelder with Device Collaborative, man, he did an amazing job. So they've, they've got a lot of, uh, you know, cool pictures on there and some different stuff. Also got some ways you can contact us on there. So contact us for a free class. Come in, man. We'll work with you. Um, and again, we just love sharing our passion. We do seminars all across the East Coast. So if you want to set up a seminar, you can get with Trevor. You can get with me. Uh, we'd love to uh, help your Muay Thai program and help you be able to teach this beautiful, passionate martial art to everybody. I've always sort of admired the the ability to be um, sort of lazy to get things done. And I think that's um, the, the philosophy of martial arts that you can take away from jiu-jitsu and judo. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that was Chris Clodfelter interviewed by Trevor Hayes. I learned a lot from that interview. Hope you did as well. It's always nice to get uh, somebody on the show who has a background in multiple disciplines and who has achieved a high level at both of those disciplines. And I think you could hear from Chris that he has a ton of respect for for all martial arts, and you know, including the ones he's practiced. You know that that he you know, he did karate in the day, then achieved a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But his passion is Muay Thai, and that's sort of what the, one of the things that I take away from that interview is. You know, martial arts is like life. It's all about passion. It's all about finding where your place is. And Chris has found his place, and it's at 8 Point Muay Thai in Winston-Salem. So I want to give thanks to Trevor for uh, driving out to Winston-Salem and doing that interview. My thanks also to Chris Clodfelter for, uh, for, for being such a good interview and such a, a kind and gracious person who uh, accommodated us in terms of scheduling. And, of course, to all you beautiful people who listen to us here on our little corner of the Internet. So next week... Uh, I'm going to have a pretty exciting show. Seth Champ uh, from Triangle Jiu-Jitsu Durham is going to be live in the studio. Seth, as many of you know, is my instructor. And Seth just returned from uh, Miami where he was training with the Valente brothers and was part of the Gracie Gathering, that annual event where they do black belt testing in a mysterious room that's pretty exciting. It's also just a great opportunity to train with a red belt, uh, Pedro Valente Sr. I'm sure Seth is going to have a lot of amazing stories that he's going to be as excited to share with you as I am excited to tell them. So uh, my thanks as always to Trevor. My thanks as always uh, to my guest, Chris Clodfelter. And thanks to Seth for coming in next week. Check us out on whoopfm.org, 104.7 here in Hillsborough, North Carolina. See you all later.